It's New Comics Day, Wednesday, January 20th, 2016, and you're listening to God and Comics, the show where the icons on our desktops have nothing to do with our computers. On today's show, Eastern Orthodoxy. We'll be joined by Father Nico of Christ Coffee and Comics to talk about his love of comics, his faith, and how the two intersect. Plus, as always, we'll have our recommendation, this or that, and a whole lot more. I'm your host, Father Jonathan Michikin. I am rector of Church of the Holy Comforter in Drexel Hill, Pennsylvania. On the line with me today is Father Matt Stromberg. Father Matt, where are you? I'm from Christ Episcopal Church in Cooperstown, New York. And also on the line today is Father Kyle Tomlin. Father Kyle, where are you? I'm at Church of the Messiah in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And we're going to jump right into our recommendation. Father Kyle, what do you have for us? Well, in honor of our guest today, who uh, on his blog did a review a few weeks ago of um, Superman, Peace on Earth, my recommendation today is the companion volume, if you will, to that, that is called Batman War on Crime. It is an um, oversized comic book, probably triple size, the normal comic book, written by Paul Dini, who wrote several episodes and uh, co-produced the Batman the Animated Series program from the 1990s and went on to write several issues of Detective Comics. And it is uh, painted gorgeously by Alex Ross, who is one of my all-time favorite illustrators in comic books. So Batman War on Crime uh, not only tells the story of Batman and his origin and his mission in trying to fight crime, but it also tackles the issue of crime in general and the causes that tend to um, perpetuate crime in a given area. The story focuses on the fact that Batman not only fights crime in his guise as Batman, but he also fights crime in his guise as Bruce Wayne. And it takes a look at a story in which a um, young child, much like Bruce Wayne, uh, loses both of his parents um, to a violent crime and how instead of turning in a in a method in which he seeks vengeance um, on the death of his parents and the ending of all crime, this particular child turns to a life of crime. And Batman continues to encounter him through three separate storylines. It's a fantastic book. It is, uh, as I said, it's beautifully painted by Alex Ross, and that alone is worth the, uh, the price of the book itself. There's some great stuff towards the end of it where Batman speaks about uh, trying to seek redemption for his city and ends with a line of saying that hopefully he will get redemption for himself after all he's done and seems to be an ongoing little bit of uh, theology that we encounter in the story of comic books with these heroes constantly seeking redemption for themselves and um, comes very comes through very clearly in this. But uh, it should be out there. Look around for it. I haven't searched the internet to see what the cost of it is these days. It came out in 1999, but I'm sure there are copies of it floating around, and I highly recommend it. All right, well, thank you for that. Well, now as we segue into our main discussion, we're going to invite onto the program Father Nico Becris. He is the pastor of Resurrection Greek Orthodox Church in Castro Valley, California. He is also the writer of the popular blog, Christ, Coffee, and Comics, where he does interviews with comic book creators, reviews of comics, television, and movies, and writes broadly about the intersection of Christianity and comic books. That sounds familiar. Father Nico, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Father. It's great to be here. Let's uh, we'll just jump right into it here. So you are a Greek Orthodox priest... Tell us what that means. So my parents are both from Greece. Actually, my mom was born here to Greek immigrants. My dad is an immigrant. My grandparents are from Greece. So in addition to being ethnically Greek, I was raised in the Greek Orthodox Church. Always knew that God existed. Basically, one thing led to another. Um, I felt a calling to the priesthood, freshman year of college, and went to our seminary in Brookline, Massachusetts, the Greek Orthodox Seminary, 
and was ordained to the diaconate in the Greek Orthodox Church December of 2008 and ordained a priest August of 2011. Now, in case anyone doesn't know what the Greek Orthodox Church is, suffice to say, in the early church, in the ancient church, in the early Mediterranean, in the Roman Empire, there were five major centers of Christianity, Rome, Constantinople, Antioch, Jerusalem, Alexandria. As you can see kind of from that little map, four are in the east, the eastern Mediterranean, and one is in the west. As we know very well through different circumstances and historical factors, church in Rome became eventually known as the Roman Catholic Church over time, and the churches of the east basically became the Eastern Orthodox Church and continued on from there. So you could even call us an ancient branch of Christianity going all the way back to Christ and the Apostles is the only founder, quote-unquote, that we have. And uh, there's a lot more to say about it, but suffice to say we're, we're a, a liturgical church, we have sacraments, we have priesthood. And actually, if anyone is a fan of C.S. Lewis and kind of the high Anglican uh, theology of the early 20th century, maybe late 19th century, I would say that orthodoxy is actually really, really close to that. There are a lot of similarities between Episcopalian, uh, Episcopalianism, uh, Anglican, and uh, forgive me, you know, for interchanging the terms, but anyway, and that in the Orthodox Church, um, at least kind of in the old days especially. So do you have to be Greek to be Greek Orthodox? <laughs> no, not at all. Forgive me. In fact, uh, there are even churches in the Middle East that are not ethnically Greek at all that still call themselves Greek Orthodox. It's actually a term that just refers to the New Testament. But I thought I might as well just throw it out there just to say a little bit about myself. Is there a, um, a common fellowship with Russian Orthodox and Syrian Orthodox and so on? Yeah, so there are several Orthodox churches that you've probably heard about. Russian Orthodox, Romanian Orthodox, Serbian Orthodox, um, Ethiopian, Eritrean, etc. Um, by and large, the vast majority of those churches, um, I guess, I'm, I'm not sure about the term that you used in terms of, a com I think, common fellowship, you said. That's probably the same term that we use as in communion with one another. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Yes, Okay, yeah, so we're in communion with all those churches. Um, there is a, uh, a branch of orthodoxy that uh, after the onset of Islam in right around, you know, the 5th, 6th centuries in the Middle East and in Central Asia, a lot of those churches kind of got a little bit more isolated from the rest of the Eastern Mediterranean, from the rest of the Orthodox Church. And over time, there kind of uh, was a little bit of an estrangement there with those churches um, originally, our church assumed that it was because of theological reasons, but in later years, it's been determined that even the theology of those churches um, is very much in line with ours, but for one reason or another, with historical circumstances, we're not really, uh, uh, we're not in communion with them, but they're, they're what, are, or what is known as the Oriental Orthodox Church. So because you mentioned Syrian Orthodox, it's a little bit different, although not, if that makes any sense. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sorry to be a little heavy on the theology right away. Forgive me. No, that, that, that's great. And I, I think it'll be informative for, for a, a lot of our listeners who may not be familiar. Um, I, I think in, in, in the popular imagination, Eastern Orthodoxy is it, sort of seen, you know, as you describe it, a very ancient uh, faith, a sort of a faith locked in time. But in, in, in sort of contrast to that idea, which which is uh, is accurate in many ways, but your blog and your ministry is very much engaged with popular culture. It's very, um, you know, the term that is you know popular today, culturally relevant, you know, contextual, <laughs> you know, all these kind of buzzwords. Could you talk a little bit of, of, about that and the way you see this very ancient faith relating to? our culture today and what, you know, where, where is the intersection there? Sure. So <clears throat> I'm glad to hear that uh, it's relevant. I mean, I'm doing something right then. <laughs> but, uh, <clears throat> you know, I'll just quote something that was actually read in our church uh, from our lectionary on Sunday, and that is, 
that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. And so even though the faith in that sense, in terms of who Jesus Christ is, never changes, um, the, the way the church packages that message has to change. Uh, it has to rather actually maybe even change is too strong of a word. It has to adapt. It definitely has to adapt, as I'm sure you know very, very well, and in large part why you're doing what you're doing. Um, and I think it's great. So the message has to be adapted, even though it's, you know, something we believe is eternally true. Um, in terms of kind of orthodoxy's relevance in pop culture today, first of all, in this country, if you add up all of the orthodox jurisdictions, we're still less than 1% of the population. So Greek, Russian, everything that was mentioned, you know, we're 1% of the population. So just in terms of numbers, we're just not as much of a presence as, you know, other churches are. Even though we are, I, I guess, uh, I heard a statistic on 60 Minutes that I guess we're the second largest uh, Christian branch in the, in the world. And, anyway, and we're, so and we're the country, third, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah, we're right <laughs> behind you guys. There we go. Well, I mean, see, it helps to have that kind of, um, you know, structure and, and tradition surrounding you. You know, it kind of, you mentioned locked in, but there are benefits to that, you know, kind of, you know, I guess, uh, moving everyone one direction uh, or moving with everyone one direction. In any case, in terms of pop culture, it's it's something that is pretty foreign to the church, I think. You know, I mean, I think there are some churches that do a great job. There are some churches that don't do as good of a job in terms of Greek Orthodox parishes. And I think a real reason for that is because so many of our people came to this country as immigrants. I mean, you know, refugees from the wars and trying to make a better life for themselves in America. It was not as much because of mission work, unless you want to count maybe the Russians that went to Alaska and the Pacific Northwest. So... Pop culture is something that the church has kind of had to uh, emerge into and kind of be a little bit of a voice there. So I, as a huge comic book geek, just thought it was a, a natural thing. And if I wasn't doing this, I'd be writing just a, a comic book blog anyway. So uh, I figured that, you know, why not do something that might be relevant for ministry? And, you know, I, I noticed that as I got to seminary and was studying theology and thinking of myself kind of becoming a priest. So this is 2004 to 2008. I noticed that my interest in comic books kind of increased during that time. I mean, don't get me wrong. I was always, you know, when I was a kid, I, I watched the cartoons. I remember Spider-Man and his amazing friends. I remember, you know, the X-Men cartoon of 1992 that was just huge in the 90s. All of that stuff I, I, I watched when I was a kid. And then right around that time, I remember discovering comic books and saying, wait a sec. You're telling me all of these characters came from this? I, I didn't even know they existed. It was like mind blowing to me. So it was an incredibly cool thing. I got hooked when I was probably maybe in fourth or fifth grade. And uh, so I, you know, I liked comic books as a kid, but I kind of got out of them when I was in high school, maybe early college. And it was right around that time also that I, you know, felt a call into the priesthood and felt like going into that. Simultaneously, around late college and definitely during seminary, I found myself getting back into comic books, which was really an unusual thing if you think of it that way, you know, as an adult getting into comic books. And in particular, one character that really started resonating with me even more than ever uh, was Superman, way more so than when I was a kid. And I'm not exactly sure why, but just something like how much he cares for the people that he helps was hugely inspiring to me. Uh, how much of a role model he is, especially in our day and age. Uh, one of the things that I was less than impressed with, with about the last movie is that, you know, all that collateral damage going on with civilians flying all over the place and Superman not really caring um, kind of was not, you know, Superman to me. I kind of wanted a combination of Man of Steel and Superman Returns, which both had good things in there, but I digress. We'll, we'll, maybe we can get into that later. <laughs> but in any case, um, so in addition to that, of course, the, the, the origins of the character, how he was started by Jewish immigrants, or, or at least uh, Siegel and Schuster's parents were Jewish immigrants. Everything that was wrapped up into that, the Great Depression, you know, masculinity, all of that stuff, I mean, just, just started blowing my mind. Jeff Johns was asked in one of the documentaries that he was on, one of the DVD extras for one of the DC movies, I think. Jeff Johns was asked, what is Superman's greatest power in your opinion? And he said, you know, it's not flight, it's not super strength, it's not x-ray vision, it's not heat vision, it's none of the things that we geeks inevitably argue about or debate on. 
Um, it's his greatest power is that he always does the right thing. And something about that, I guess, as I was becoming, or at least taking the steps to, to answer that call to the priesthood, something about that really, really started resonating, really touching me. And to the point where I think during seminary, I was probably going to the comic book store every week buying multiple titles as much as my budget could, you know, support anyway. You'd think that a theology student would be going the opposite direction, that we get all, you know, kind of into the clouds and talking about who God is. And yet, and I was definitely doing that too, but there was this just uh, incredible draw to comic books, again, specifically to superheroes. I like all forms of comic books, but definitely superheroes and certainly kind of a new love of Superman in my adulthood. And so, just as was mentioned earlier, and thanks for the shout out, Father Kyle, Superman Peace on Earth is probably my favorite conventional Superman story ever. I was, like I said, I was a fan of the 90s, so the death and return of Superman will always have a special place in my heart. It was absolutely, you know, kind of earth-shattering when it first came out. I bought the Omnibus two, two years ago, reread it, still holds up great. So death and return of Superman is fantastic, but it's not a conventional Superman story. But in terms of just kind of basic, you know, everyday, a day in the life of Superman, Peace on Earth, I think, is a great, great snapshot of exactly what I'm talking about. How he's moved to compassion for seeing a starving woman in the snow uh, in, during Christmas time in Metropolis to the point where he wants to eliminate all hunger on Earth for one day. I mean, it's just an incredible message. It's incredible in its, you know, simplicity. Um, and it's incredible in how profound it is for us as Christians who talk about, you know, feeding the world and making the world a better place. Have you seen there's a there's a short film that we we linked to it actually a, a couple of weeks ago when I recommended Superman American Alien by uh, the guy who wrote Superman American Alien called Max the, Landis. Yes, Max Landis um called the um what is it called the Death of Superman or something like that. I mean it's have you seen his his short short film about it? Um was did it come out a couple of years ago? Yeah, yeah, it's it's a little older. But it's it's on YouTube. It's only about 15, 16 minutes long. It has some bizarre cameos in it. And it's basically Landis sitting at a table describing what happened in the death of, of Superman in a, uh, a sort of uh, satirical way. I, I, will, I will just warn listeners, there is a lot of uh, F-bombs in the, in the video. Uh, but it is pretty funny. But, but Landis's point that he makes at the end of it is that in terms of the big events, this is kind of one of the sort of spawning moments of big crossover events in comics, and and uh, and that's what they thought perhaps that they were creating was this ability to have these these events continue and so forth. But his his point that he makes at the end uh, of of all of that is that what the death of Superman actually did was not to kill Superman, but to kill death. Uh, by making death essentially inconsequential in comic books from that moment forward. I wonder what any of you guys think of that, but especially the pastor of a church called Resurrection. I wonder if you <laughs> if you might have a thought on the, the death of death. You know, I never thought of that. It makes my parish even that much cooler now. <laughs> <laughs> So we had talked a while back, well, I wasn't on this particular episode, but I remember uh, we did the Superman is not Jesus, but I guess in that regard, Superman is a little bit like Jesus. He is the death of death. He was never intended to be a Christ metaphor initially. He was intended to be kind of a Messiah-ish figure um, in the sense that Jerry Siegel intended him to be as, you know, from a Jewish background. Superman was meant to be a Moses-type metaphor. He was meant to be a lawbringer. He was meant to right wrongs. And it was a very cut-and-dry thing, just good and evil, and that was it with Jerry Siegel. With, obviously, you know, kind of in a cartoony uh, 1940s uh, fashion, while at the same time very serious and very, you know, with adult metaphors too, but packaged a little of everything. I think what made the Jesus metaphor really prominent, of course, was the 1978 Christopher Reeve Superman movie, which was a phenomenon still on the top 25, I think, in terms of ticket sales for movies all time. It's not 25, it's maybe 30 or something like that. So it was, it was a huge, huge hit. And clearly Richard Donner 
wanted to make more of that Messiah metaphor that uh, maybe Siegel had not intended initially. Nevertheless, obviously the movie worked. I mean, it was a huge hit. It was, it was, it was phenomenally successful. And every director, I think, who has picked up the baton since then, at least in movies anyway, I'm not sure about the cartoons, has really tried to bring that forward and really make this Superman as Jesus thing. I think, again, it works to a degree. I don't know how much it was intended to be in Death and Return of Superman. I just don't, I don't know if the writers were intending for it to be other than just kind of a general metaphor, as many Western stories uh, in the Western world, that is, are based off of metaphors from Bible stories, whether it's a Paradise Lost story, whether that's a Prodigal Son story, whether that's a Messiah story, whatever. I mean, you know, the framework was used in that. But I don't think if you read that story, there's really much other than maybe uh, Adventures of Superman 500, which is kind of the turning point in that story, where he actually um, is in heaven and his father is uh, there trying to bring him back down. It's kind of a kind of a, a dream sequence that definitely has religious, you know, kind of overtones. But outside of Donner and uh, eventually Brian Singer and even now Zack Snyder, the Superman as Jesus metaphor was never meant to be as huge as it is. It's something that I think does work though, because of Superman, you know, how he's a role model and how good of a person he is and all that. And, you know, it makes for great storytelling when they start getting a little too explicit with um, with the metaphors it's when it starts making me a little bit nervous. I've never been yeah. too big of a fan of these directors really going into it just because I think there's only so far you can go with like really heavily religious metaphors with a character like Superman. But like I said, it does work as, as long as it's done tastefully. That's just my take. I mean, I might be in a minority on that. Well, and La- I mean, Landis's point is a, a fairly valid one, which is that if you make death not matter, then you lose that as an overall kind of way of exploring that aspect of our experience as humans. And so, like, he has this shot uh, where he shows all of the various characters who have died and come back since the death and return of Superman, which is, of course, you know, half of the universe. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think the problem with death and return of superman being something that points to resurrection is you know the the whole point of of resurrection of christ's resurrection is the uniqueness of it and the fact that we don't you know when we die we stay dead uh when he died he did not stay dead and so our being one with him gives us the promise and hope that we won't either uh, but if if it just becomes if you know, but that all that that only has an impact in a world where death matters. This is one of the reasons why I think that it sometimes takes tragic circumstances in people's lives for them to really be open to faith. Um, not that that always has to be the case, but that that so often, pastorally speaking, is the case, because I think until the reality of death smacks you in the face the idea of the promise of eternal life doesn't mean very much if what we have in comics now is a world where death is like not that big of a deal i mean like last summer they had that whole death of wolverine series um do you remember this and that marvel did and even before it hit the newsstands every blog i read every podcast i was listening to was talking about yeah he'll be back and it was like, yeah, of course he'll be back as soon as there's like a, another movie to be made or whatever. And so before you even start the thing, it has no stakes. Yeah, I, when when Superman died, though, it really felt like an event. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe because this was the the you know the first big prominent hero to to really die for any significant amount of time. But um, I remember it was all over the news. The crash test dummies wrote a eulogy of That's a deep cut there, Father Matt. The crash oh, test dummies. Uh, one, yeah. one of my favorite um, comic book themed songs of all time, I think. It still, still packs a punch, I think. But um, it brought a lot of people to the comic store, and I think that was the you know intended effect. Because 
people said Superman. I, you know, I don't read Superman, but you know, it, it, it gives me comfort to know he's always going to be there. How could he be dead? You know, and and then they had you know the different figures that they proposed as as alternatives for Superman, and 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 none of them really uh, you know measured up. Uh, of course, they never were intended to take the place of Superman, but uh, you know it did really feel like an event, an important one, and and his return was not quite as as impactful as the as the death story was also sort of a big moment of you know oh he's alive <laughs> and there was definitely you know what was I, I think i was in fifth grade you know that was like a joyful thing like i remember uh, buying the i bought two copies because it was in the white poly bag you know <laughs> and it was going to be worth thousands of dollars of course but uh, right. <laughs> that's right but but it was you know it was like it felt like a holiday you know, like you know, Easter Sunday. <laughs> but um, but since then, you're. I, I think his point is correct. It sort of has had the effect of sort of trivializing death in in the comic book world among superheroes. Like, oh well, you know, another another attempt to get people to the comic store. Since we've sort of brought up death and life, right, and eternal life, uh, one of the things that we were going to talk about a little bit is the idea of theosis in orthodoxy, um, which has some parallels in um, Western Christianity. There are some early Anglicans who um, wouldn't have used the word theosis, but Lancelot Andrews, for instance, or Jeremy Taylor talk about salvation in, in, in terms of theosis. Um, although, you know, most of those guys also use a lot of the Western terminology and, and, and so forth as well. But uh, I wonder if, if we can talk about that a little bit and whether or not there is some place where we see some ideas of theosis uh, connecting to comics. I, I'm not sure if there are. But let's explain what theosis is first, because if you don't know, it just sounds like a, a, a horrible condition that you are sitting there. <laughs> Ask your doctor if theosis is right for you. Um, so... Um, Theosis is actually, if you believe it, not even a term I heard until I went to seminary. But essentially what it means is that theosis is kind of unity with God uh, and, it, and becoming God-like, as is mentioned in the psalm. The Orthodox Church, I, I discovered actually, like I said, after going to seminary and doing some reading about this, differs a little bit from the other Christian branches in terms of, you know, how, I mean, what salvation is. We don't really look at heaven and hell as places so much as kind of states of being. In other words, you know, we spend our life either trying to go closer to God or trying to run away from God. And, you know, towards the end of our life, trying to embrace God's love or run from God's love. And we believe that after, after we die, kind of the orthodox spin on it, from the fathers of the churches, that we will all be surrounded by the love of God. If we recognize that love and, and welcome it, then it will feel like heaven. If we don't recognize that love, it will feel like hell. And the reason that it's kind of phrased that way is because it's, it's a way that the early theologians uh, kind of reconciled the all-loving, all-compassionate father with a place of torment. So, in other words, theosis, and this is kind of an, uh, a far eastern concept as well is like the, 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 the life's journey, the soul's journey towards union with God, uh, towards salvation. Um, so that's the kind of snapshot of it. In terms of where we see it in comic books, I, I think this is a huge concept, and I don't know if it's really uh, fleshed out a whole lot in comic books, but I will say anywhere that I have found a story about a personal journey, whether that's of self-discovery um, trying to realize one's potential, trying to avoid the trappings of one's weaknesses beforehand, which obviously a lot of hero stories have that are very, very great, you know, really interesting stuff. We could look at that as a parallel for reaching, realizing our potential, because as, as Christians, we believe we're made to be with God. We're not made to be separate from God or, or apart from God. We are created to be with the creator. And so truly our potential is to realize this unity. So, a couple of months ago, I wrote a blog entry about Wolverine, 
and about how so many great stories have been written about Wolverine and how there's this constant comparison between him as a human being versus an animal. You know, and we saw a little of that in X2 as well and even some of his standalone movies uh, in recent years. But I don't know if you fathers have read Weapon X. Phenomenal story, Barry Windsor Smith, you know, writing and, and drawing. You guys are familiar with that story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. From, from years ago. It's yeah. a little hazy, but... Uh-huh. It's, it's basically, you know, up to that point, you know, Wolverine was introduced, what, in the early 70s? And for 20 years, this kind of tragic origin had been hinted at, but never really fleshed out. They had always talked about how he was... He came from something. He emerged from something. He was trying to become something. And this was the genius of Chris Claremont when he took the character on, along with John Byrne and, and later Frank Miller when they did the, mini, the Wolverine miniseries together, is he was trying to say to him, he was, he was asking himself, really, why would I even, why should I even care about this guy, this angry guy who just cuts things up, um, who's just kind of the team wrecking ball. And the question he kind of, started asking, as he started asking that question, I should say, he started kind of looking at Wolverine more as kind of this fallen samurai and this tragic character who constantly was on the road to trying to make himself better, to make himself more of a human being and less of an animal, Mm. to use, you know, the terms that they used in the comics. This whole journey was tremendously interesting. I mean, comic book fans could not get enough of it. That's when Wolverine's popularity became hugely popular. I mean, we would not have three Wolverine movies nowadays or even maybe even the X-Men franchise nowadays without this kind of concept, without this kind of tweaking of Wolverine as a character and really Chris Claremont's entire 17-year run on the X-Men. But suffice to say, that whole conversation, that whole concept of going towards realizing our potential and falling down, you know, Wolverine not getting there sometimes, to kind of digressing back into his you know animal frenzy state but yet feeling bad about it remorseful and the help of his friends and you know his over time you know the the loves in his life have helped him realize kind of more his humanity and so i wrote about this kind of struggle within wolverine and characters like him as kind of a you know to a degree a metaphor for us all of us as human beings all of us are on a journey we're all the potter's clay you know as isaiah says and so being on this journey as human beings, if we look at salvation in this way, I think it makes it a little bit more graspable, I guess, you know, and our relationship with God as more of just that, a relationship and kind of a process. Usually the quote that I always hear is sort of associated with theoses is it's uh, from St. Athanasius, mm-hmm. where it says, the son of God became man, that man might become a god. Or, or, you know, and it's always the lowercase g to, to emphasize the fact that why we're partaking in the divine nature, uh, we don't cease to be creatures. We become like God. We, we don't become equal to God. That's a powerful idea, sort of the idea of, you know, Adam starting in the dust and being raised to this, uh, destined for this, this higher life. It, it was uh, God's plan before the foundation of the world to to redeem the human race through his, his son, Jesus Christ. The fall as a sort of a death, uh, a, a loss of that. When we celebrate Ash Wednesday, it's coming right around the corner in, in our Western church. Uh, we mark people with the dust and we say, you are dust and, and, and to dust you shall return. And, and that's the consequence of sin. That's 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 death. But through Christ, we have the possibility of a higher life. And this is in a comic book, but I, I always associate it with, with like Pinocchio. You know, Pinocchio, um, it, Pinocchio is made out of wood. You know, he was made by his father out of wood, but he, his earnest desire was that he, he would become a real boy. And he goes through this similar kind of journey that Wolverine does, for instance, where, where it's like, you know, well, he has this animal nature, he has this heroic nature, and where will he end up? You know, when he lies, when he's deceitful, he becomes more wood-like. You know, leaves pop out of him and things like that through his heroic sacrifice, and you know, uh, going down into death into the belly of the whale, he becomes a real boy. I kind of could see that 
as sort of part of the narrative uh, of Theosis. That's a really interesting analogy, Father Matt, the idea of, of Pinocchio and that movement back and forth from wood to flesh. The metaphor that I've that I've heard before and really liked for theosis is the idea of I mean it's a little it's a little anachronistic, but the idea of a blade placed into a, a fire, and when you pull the blade out of the fire, it's orange and glowing and hot and so it has all of these characteristics of the fire but it's not the fire right it's the fact that it's been in the fire that has filled it with this that i find that to be a helpful um, analogy because it shows how you know we can have god's life flowing through us but that doesn't mean that we're god or that god you know that we're somehow generating it I guess my question with something like the Wolverine story as a as a metaphor in that case is where in there would we find the idea of, of God being the one who actually generates the change, right? Because if it's just Wolverine's just got a change on his own, you know, that's a pretty tall order for for anybody to just sort of change. <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty sure Wolverine can't become God because he wants to. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, again, we're, we're just talking about metaphors here, and, and, and the only, you know, obviously it's not uh, it's not meant to be uh, a direct metaphor. I mean, Claremont wasn't intending for Wolverine to have this kind of godlike progression in his in his uh, in his life, sure. but the process is what fascinated me. And I think what fascinated everybody, without even you know calling it kind of a metaphor to you know salvation or anything like that, but the process of kind of becoming more than we are is is what really really interests me. Especially if we consider that that Weapon X to get back to that story, that Weapon X program was something that kind of took away his humanity. It was human beings that took that away, and it's up now to Wolverine and even to love and the goodness of humanity to kind of realize that and bring that back. You know, in so many ways, I think um, being called into as a member of the X-Men, being welcomed into that community, Professor X is sort of this humanizing figure in in the life of Wolverine. And and Wolverine, you know, in the stories, he's often a loner brought into the community of the X-Men. He's welcomed into their family. And this has a, a softening and humanizing effect on on wolverine in, in the movies you know he uh he, he's drawn in through his relationship with rogue in the comics it's sort of like kitty pride you see this kind of uh, you know a hardened loner become a member of a family um, Falling. yeah 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 you you can almost see his participation in the x-men as is sort of his participation in the life of the church i mean to to stretch the metaphor a bit, it has this humanizing effect on him. It has this effect of drawing him away from the sort of loner animal in the woods kind of person to a more human and softer, uh, more compassionate individual. Mm-hmm. And, and in that sense, it's love that is doing that work on yeah. him. And, you know, there there could be our connection back to a God-like figure in the life of wolverine if you will just love itself love itself there. yeah yeah you guys invited me on to the to do the podcast to talk about orthodoxy but i just want you to know i, I told you before we recorded this but i'll say it again it's been really really great also discovering the theology of your church in this process going to your other websites that you guys do and and um, reading up a little bit more on the episcopal church in this country again there there were there was a time when orthodoxy and Anglicanism were so intertwined, I mean, very, very close theologically, really in the early 20th century. And uh, it was it was really, really amazing um, to, to hear, I mean, again, another thing I discovered at seminary. But I read that, I want to say, our patriarch in the early 1900s, right as the World Council of Churches began, did issue a statement that I, I believe said if an Orthodox person is dying and there's no Orthodox priest around that can receive communion an Anglican priest, and it's okay. Um, that was that was in the early 20th century. So there have been moments in our in our histories where we've been very very close, and it's just really heartwarming to hear that and read those things. There's also an organization that still exists called the Fellowship of Saint 
Sergius Alban. and St. Alban. I can't remember if it's St. Alban and St. Sergius or St. Sergius and St. Alban. Probably depends on which place they're meeting. But uh, <laughs> uh, but that still exists, and uh, that is a, a kind of society devoted to uh, building connections between Orthodox and Anglicans. And, you know, I think all of that's uh, pretty wonderful stuff, especially since so often what people what people perceive is that Christians are just divided completely and horrible to each other. It's nice to see <laughs> a few examples here and there where we can we can actually talk to one another. Absolutely. So, yeah. Well, that'll do it for our discussion of orthodoxy and Wolverine and the death of death and all sorts of other things. Um, <laughs> if you all would like to get in on the conversation, we'd love to hear what you think. Hit us up on social media. It's fast and friends, it's free. You can go to facebook.com slash godandcomics, or if you'd like to tweet at us, we are on Twitter, at godandcomics, and we'll continue the conversation there. But for now, we're going to move on to our final segment, This or That. This or that, this or that, come on everybody, let's this or that. Batman or Iron Man, this or that. Spider-Man or Superman, this or that. Boxes or briefs, this or that. DVD or VHS, this or that. Dungeons or dragons, this and that. Moses or Elijah, this or that. This or that, this or that. Come on, everybody, let's this or that. Okay, everybody ready for this or that? Yes. Yes, All right. Yes, I see. I see heads nodding. This is this is an audio medium, friends. We have to we have to be vocal in our responses. Okay. This or that, Father Nico. I'm going to start with you. It, uh, of course, you know, tragic uh, news in the last uh, week or so of the the death of actor Alan Rickman, who had one of the greatest voices of all time. But here's your this or that question: the voice of Alan Rickman or the voice of James Earl Jones? Oh man, you're really going to start with that? That's what I'm <laughs> Uh, you know what? I gotta, I gotta lean towards Darth Vader and Mufasa. Sorry, loved Alan Rickman though. Mufasa, I'd forgotten about Mufasa. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Mufasa, it's fun to say. Anyway, exactly. Father Matt, there is news now of a Captain Planet movie that is about to be made, and so with that in mind, Captain Planet or Voltron. I'm going to have to say Voltron on this one. Um, that is the correct answer. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 you know, I, I watched Captain Planet a bit, but I never really got too into it. I found him and his green mullet to be somewhat irritating. <laughs> but Voltron was just always stellar, in my opinion. <laughs> very good, very good. Father Kyle, I dream of genie, or... A 57 Chevy. I have to go with I Dream of Genie. Barbara Eden wins out on a 57 Chevy. Enough said. <laughs> One and, of my all-time favorite shows, I think. And actually, if you could actually meet Genie, she could probably give you a 57 Chevy if that's something there you, you go. want. There's so. the bonus. Yeah. Exactly. That show always makes me think of being like in the second grade and sick with chicken pox and staying yes. home from school watching reruns of it on TV. So. Well, we used to watch it before school every morning. It came on at like, you know, right before the bus came. <laughs> there you go. Father Nico, I, I understand you are uh, a big Seattle sports fan. Uh, yes, I am. Didn't think you'd bring that up today, but... <laughs> Seattle Seahawks or Seattle Supersonics? You know, uh, I'm going to have to go with the Seattle Seahawks, of course, given the NFL's dominance as the new American pastime by far nowadays in terms of ratings and merchandise sales and all that stuff. Um, I'm still a little bit uh, hurting from the game on Sunday, but uh, and, and I do love the Sonics. I love the Sonics, but... Uh, we don't have them right now, so by default, it's the Seahawks. Supersonics is a great name for a team, I feel like. Oh, yeah. It would be a good it comic is. book, the Supersonics. Might be Actually, a good comic book. There was a character named Supersonic on Astro City. Thank you very much. There you go. Oh, exactly. Uh, My recommendation go. last week, right? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. 
<laughs> Father Matt, this one's a thinker. Okay. Oprah or okra? <laughs> oh, man. They're both good for yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I haven't much experience with okra, or and, and I can't remember it, it being very appetizing. <laughs> um, so I, I, you know, Oprah, we we just what we we had a youth uh, group uh, uh, lock in here over the weekend at Christchurch, and we watched it and discussed together the film Selma, and and Oprah was in that. Um, and so I, I'm going to have to say Oprah. She is the uh, the Pope of moral therapeutic deism. So <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, what is okra the Pope of? Uh, the Pope. Of the Pope of vegetables. That's right. <laughs> Father Kyle, Benny, or the Jets? <laughs> I have to go with. Benny on that one and I will put in a plug that if you have not heard Bismarcky and the Beastie Boys version of Benny and the Jets then find it and listen to it ah okay maybe we'll find a link to that and put that up we'll see yes it's on YouTube Father Nico this one concerns your Greek heritage Greek yogurt or my big fat Greek wedding Oh, man. <laughs> For the record, let me say my Big Fat Greek wedding was pretty accurate. <laughs> Have you ever baptized someone in a kiddie wading pool in your church? or? I was just about to say not everything was accurate. <laughs> uh, no, definitely, definitely have not done that. Uh, that was a little bit on the exaggerated comedy side. You know what? Great movie, and I have met Nia Varadalos. She came to my former parish and did a book signing, which was great. But uh, you know what? Greek yogurt is very good for you. Tastes great. And given the fact that in our occupation, or our vocation, I should say, people feed you everywhere you go, it's good to know a couple of healthy foods here and there. So I'm going to go with Greek yogurt. Is the obsession with Windex uh, a... Uh... A common phenomenon amongst Greeks, or is that also a, an exaggeration in the film? It's an exaggeration of, you know, kind of just OCD things that Greek parents do, and that <laughs> is very true. Okay. My, my cousin Joe married uh, a, a Greek girl, great, great, great lady, Pauline, and, and, and their wedding was a big, fat Greek wedding. It was, <laughs> it was right around, the, I think it was around the time when that movie was popular, too. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I don't know if I should say this, but I know a, an Anglican priest who uh, works for Shobani, the Greek yogurt company, and he baptized really? someone in a traveling suitcase. <laughs> what? <laughs> Filled up a suitcase with water and baptized somebody. And we, was, <laughs> was this a baby or like just a massive suitcase? Uh, it was a child. Okay. Was it an emergency? No, they didn't have a baptismal font, and oh, uh, he needed wow. something. So, <laughs> <laughs> for those listening, this is not always an accurate representation of Greek Orthodox. <laughs> no, he was Anglican. Oh, he was Anglican. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have to. I can't speak to that, but I would think that's also. <laughs> well, we we had any number of liturgical atrocities committed in our. <laughs> That is true. Hey, if, if as long as he he used water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and he was baptizing a person and not an animal or a plant, I'm going to call it a win. He did, and it was All a right. valid baptism. Very despite, good. Despite the method of water storage. <laughs> Father Matt, Doctor Strange, or Doctor Strangelove. Well, Dr. Strangelove is, is a phenomenal film, and Peter Sellers' performance is, is uh, it's unforgettable. But lest we forget, Dr. Strangelove is a Nazi. And, and so uh, Dr. Strange may uh, be involved in the occult, which uh, I don't necessarily approve of, but he's also a hero and a member of the Defenders. So I'm going to have to go with uh, Dr. Strange. Okay. I you you worked out very good logic for that. I have to admit. He did. So, bravo. 
Father Kyle, graphic novels or graphic television shows? I have to go with graphic novels. Okay. I would I would much rather have my novels be graphic than my television shows. As we talked about in our violence episodes, I have some uh, some sensitivities to the levels of violence on graphic television shows these days. Well, it could just be graphic nudity. <laughs> could be. But then I have to pluck my eyes out. <laughs> or it could just be poor graphics. That's also possible, too. It could be there you go. running off of QBasic or something. Anyway. All right, last one. This one's for Father Nico. Professor X or Captain Picard? Oh, Both, of course, played by great, great actor Patrick Stewart. Given the fact that you're comparing the two, I'm just, I'm just thinking you're referring to the movie Professor X. I could be wrong. but Well, you can, you can interpret it any way you like. That's the beauty of these. I'm going to be a wuss and say that goes down as a tie. <laughs> Has that ever happened on this or that? I I don't know. I it it has never happened. I don't very I, rarely. I, I, am, I am honored. I am honored to be the first one because <laughs> Professor X represents a Martin Luther King ideology, which is amazing. Captain Picard is one of the best characters on TV of all time. So I it's can't a, yeah. Sorry. Yes. Well, they are both great characters. I do love them both. Um, but the correct answer was Captain Picard. I'm sorry to inform you. Um, so you you lose this or that. I apologize. <laughs> I'll need to go to confession. That's right. Um, well, that's it for this and this or that, and that means that's it for our show this week. Thank you, Father Nico, for joining us. It's been a real pleasure. We've enjoyed it very much. Thanks so much, guys. And uh, everyone should go and, and check out his blog. We'll, we'll put a link to it up. Uh, but it really is uh, wonderful and, and worth, uh, worth reading. So please go and check that out. And while you are on GodandComics.com, our website, you can also listen to the show again, and you can check out show extras. We always put up some links to some of the rad things we talk about in our program on the show page. So go ahead and Give the show another listen and, and see what other things are up there. Gotten Comics is also subscribable through iTunes. And while you're at iTunes, if you wouldn't mind giving the program a rating or a review, we would love that. It helps other people to find us. Our theme music, which you are hopefully banging your head to right now, is by Father Paul Wheatley. Until next time, I'm Father Jonathan Michigan. I'm Father Kyle Tomlin. I'm Father Matt Strummer. And we will see you. <laughs>